Buenos noches, aloha. Welcome to Metrovision Studios. My name is Reese Kia Aina. Uh, it's great to be here this evening. I want to thank you so much for your time and attention tuning in with us to our midweek service tonight. You know, we've been doing a series entitled Seeing Life Through God's View. Seeing life from God's view, learning how to get a 30,000 foot perspective uh, in our COVID-19 crisis. And I hope, you know, the lessons have been encouraging. Sunday services have been encouraging. This past Sunday, we had a congregational service with with thousands of people on it. And it, I hope you were very, very encouraged. You know, my wife and I, Grace, we love you. We miss you. We miss the whole church. Uh, look forward to having such a great evening tonight. You know, we are in week seven of isolation and uh, how many of you are feeling it right now? And, you know, there's different anxieties, different challenges. We're at home 24-7, working from home, you know, having meals, devotionals, spending time together, working out, but it's 24-7. It's constant. Our stay-at-home order has been extended to May 15th. We'll get a chance to see what direction we're going in as a country as we, as we get to that date. Let's keep practicing and doing a great job. I want to commend the church for, you know, doing an excellent job of practicing social distancing, uh, personal hygiene, washing our hands all the time, wearing masks, you know, and staying prayerful. You know, as we go into our lesson tonight, here are the different lessons we've done so far is finding God's plan in the midst of crisis focusing on the eternal to be joyful in crisis. Last week, we talked about looking for the good, and I hope you've been looking for the good as God's participation is is in the midst of our lives, and there's good going on as well as challenges going on. Tonight, though, I'm excited to teach this lesson, It's and it's called Realizing You Are Made for Such a Time as This. Realizing You Are Made for Such a Time as this. You know, as we head into week seven of isolation, I want you to, have you ever had this thought, when is this going to end? When is our, you know, our, our, our crisis going to end? And when are we going to get back to our normal way of life? If you've thought that, you know, I hope this lesson will encourage you tonight, because if there's anything we need tonight, is to, is to keep persevering, you know, to stay the course, to, to not deviate right now, to obey and, and be great disciples and listen to our authorities, our governing authorities, uh, who are trying to protect us and be great examples out there. Uh, you know, there's, there is a lot of hardship, a lot of fear and anxiety. And I hope as we look in the book of Ephesus, you can turn with me there. This is what we're going to be studying tonight. Ephesus, I mean, Ephesians chapter two, verse one through 10. This is a church that was going through riots, that was going through hardship, that was going through persecution, tremendous fear, anxiety, worry uh, going on. And uh, if you need some person, if you need some encouragement tonight, some grit tonight, I hope this lesson will encourage you in your journey that you're in tonight. Amen. As we dive into this passage right here, let's go to God in prayer and let's dive right into our lesson. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for Jesus. We're just grateful we could spend time as a fellowship online, virtually, so that we can uh, be fed by your word. Thank you for all the lessons that Robert and Michelle have been doing, the whole LA church. Bless the church. Uh, most of all, we pray that we could get a little bit of time to focus on you tonight and be inspired, encouraged, and even challenged by your word to help us to persevere and realize 
that uh, we're made for such a time as this. God, we love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You know, tonight I'm gonna talk a little bit about identity, who we are in Christ, and that I hope that will feed us spiritually, nourish us, give us encouragement and empowerment to be the people that God would like us to be. Let's read in Ephesians chapter two and verse one. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgression and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the natures of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. You know, one of the first things that we're going to learn tonight is this right here. Is Paul talks about how the these Greek Ephesian disciples uh, with this kind of background, this is what they were like. You know, like sometimes you, if, if you're trying to lose weight, there's a before and then there's an after picture, right? Well, this is the before, okay, where, where Paul was reminding them, look, this is what you were like before. Do you remember when, do you remember what you were like when you were a non-Christian? You know, if, if you were living the ways of the world, you probably were dead in sin. You gratified the cravings of your sinful nature. I mean, isn't that what's difficult about losing weight, right? If we're talking about weight loss, it's those cravings that come all throughout the day. Well, we, we gratify it also when, when we have, when we give into our sinful nature and we can even become objects of wrath. And, and Paul gives this illustration. He gives images. That's what I love about the Bible is they give, they give images or pictures or story or narratives to help us to understand God and what he's trying to communicate to us. And so one of the first things is the before picture. This is what the Ephesian disciples were like. They just were in a lot of sin. I want to show you a picture of before I was a Christian. Okay. This, this is a picture of me in 1986. Uh, this is when I was a sophomore at Mid Pacific Institute in Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, you know, this is, this is my football picture when I was a sophomore. We were, we were state champs. Uh, I was, I was in the paper there. I, it's the only one I could find. Uh, I bet, I bet many of you didn't know that I, I, I had an afro back then <laughs> that, that re-sported an afro. And, uh, and to be you know, when I look back, I was actually kind of cool, cool back then, at least in my mind. But I can, you know, like Jesus could hear people's thoughts. I, I could hear people laughing in our fellowship. I can, I can hear my kids in my house right now laughing at, that's dad? That, I mean, I had the robot of 86, but I also had an afro, uh, like this as well. But this was me as a non-Christian, immoral, sinful, impure, a liar, womanizer. This was me before I became a disciple. And I was a piece of work, man. Uh, just rough around the edges. But let's keep reading in verse four. Thank God the passage turns a bit. And in verse four, it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, 
it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, Paul Paul goes on and goes, well, this is what you were like before. This is what you were like as a non-Christian without God, just dead in sin, gratifying the, the cravings and object of wrath where things we touch destroy. We destroy relationships. We destroy vision. We destroy all kinds of things. And yet, because of God, because we're saved by grace, because of the death of Jesus, we are saved and we're saved by his love and by his mercy and by his grace. And we're seated with him. Look at these images, right? We're saved by these images, love, mercy, grace. We're seated with him, with Jesus. We're also made alive. God's love is trans- can transform us and reform us from the inside out. And you know, That's a powerful, powerful thing. But he goes on and paints this picture right here. And this is what we're going to be talking about tonight. In verse 10, it says, for we are God's workmanship, right? So this is what you were like as a non-Christian because of Jesus and the death on the cross. This is what we become. We're saved by God in his mercy, love, and grace. And God makes us into his workmanship for we are God's workmanship. Now, circle that word in your Bible if you have it for a minute, because this is a powerful, powerful word. You know, I love how, well, well, being under Robert's leadership, Robert always speaks about Hebrew words, right? You've learned the word halal, right? Anybody remember what that word means? Halal means to worship, to praise. Shaka, right? Shaka. Turn to your neighbor and go, shaka. That means to bow down. We've also learned the word shuv, which means to turn or like when we're going away from God, it's kind of turning back to God, to shuv. And I love these Greek, these Hebrew words because they form our imagination. They shape the way we look at something, right? Look at God. But Greek words do the same as well. There's, there's a lot of meaning behind these words. And this is one of them. This word work workmanship is this word poema say that poema and it is translated as god's work or god's design in other translations it's translated as masterpiece this word poema is where you get the english word poem and so so when paul is talking to the disciples he's trying to encourage them as they're going through persecution and hardship and he's going this is what you were like as a non-Christian, this is what you are like now as a Christian. And even more so in that, this is how God has made you. You're, you're his poema, his, his, his work, his work of art, his design, his masterpiece, or if you will, his poem, you know, and, uh, that's amazing. There's another, the only other time this word is used is in the book of Romans. And here's this word right here. It says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The only other time this word poema is used is when it's used in the book of Romans here, where Paul is talking to the Roman disciples and and he's basically making the point like, you know, uh, if you want to see what God is like, look to creation and all. See where it's underlined here, where it says what has been made. Everything that has been made of God 
is is po- poema, is his work, his art form, his design, his poem. And he's making the point, look, obviously, if you look to the universe and you look to the natural world and creation, you're obviously going to see what God looks like, what he's like, what he is. To a Greek mind, this makes sense. Of course, we look to the universe and to creation and to the natural world in order to see God and what God is like. That's why like a lot of times when people come to Hawaii, they, they're, they're so moved because they see God in nature, right? When we go to the mountains here or Mammoth or other places outside, you know, as we hit, hit different places all throughout California, you can see God's creation and, and who he is and what he's like all through creation. But he's also making another point in this that is even more profound. And it's important to understand the context of this passage. There's a reason why Paul chose this word poema, uh, to help influence the mind because it appealed to the Greeks and the way they thought uh, and how they could understand. Now, you may not realize this, but you are, you are perhaps more Greek than you may think in terms of how you think and your influence and your culture. Uh, Ephesus is, no, is known as modern day Turkey today it was one of the most influential Greek cities in the Mediterranean. And Greece was known as the cradle of Western civilization. You know, a cradle is a small bed, right, for an infant. And many of the ideas that flourished in the Western world now were born in ancient Greece. And this word was most likely chosen by Paul to help influence those who had a Greek perspective and a Greek culture and a Greek mindset. Uh, They would understand this word so well. Uh, you may not realize this, but you've been influenced by Greek thinking and Greek influence more than you might think. Well, how much more? I want you to look at this right here. These are just eight contributions of Greek thinking to humanity. Eight, just eight, okay? I'm just giving you eight because it's almost impossible to be in the Western world and not have been influenced by this thinking. Geometry and mathematics, which I did terrible in high school. Uh, you know, some of you are excellent at it, right? Geometry and mathematics came from the Greeks. The first, the Greeks were the first to create a model where there was this working model of the sun, right? With the planets orbit, orbiting around the sun. That, that came from Aristarch, Arist- this man named Aristarchus, a Greek thinker. How about medicine? Medicine, the first to create a standardized system of medicine, including medical diagnosis, prognosis, medical ethics, were all done by the Greeks. Advancements in medicine were largely attributed to this man named Hippocrates, which is known, he was known as the father of medicine. Astronomy, Greeks, Greek thought. The arts, okay? Uh, theater, some of you love theater, drama, painting, sculpture poetry, all go back to Greek thinking and Greek influence. How about architecture? The first library, look at all the libraries that we have throughout the world right now, all influenced by the Greeks. The first library was made in Egypt when they were under rule of the Greeks. Over 700,000 scrolls 
were found in that library of all Greek thought and, and all the type of thinking that went on in the world was in that library at that given time. I mean, you're talking, you're talking people of high level thinking here. Buildings, architecture, right? Structure. Churches, you know how like churches, a lot of churches have different pillars, right? There's different pillars. If you look at a lot of work in sculptures and, and buildings in Greece, in that the Mediterranean world, you're going to see a lot of uh, amphitheaters, a lot of churches that have pillars in it, right? Buildings that have pillars. Churches have pillars. Colleges, if you go to certain colleges, there's pillars there. The White House even was influenced by that, that kind of thinking. Philosophy. I mean, oh my gosh, you know, this guy named Heraclides, you, you may know Socrates, you may know Plato, you may know Aristotle, and Aristotle is the one who, who tutored Alexander the Great, one of the great commanders that, that influenced the whole world, conquered the world, if you will. Sports and Olympic Games, where we get sports from, the Olympic Games were all created from here. Uh, state and government, the first democracy was done from a Greek think came from a Greek thinker and from Greek culture. Amazing. Trial by jury all started with many of these thinkers. The alphabet, right? The word alphabet originates from the first two letters of the Greek alphabet, alpha and beta. Greek mythology. We could go on and I mean on and on and on. You you are you may not realize this, but you're m- more of a Greek thinker than you realize. And Paul, what Paul is saying in verse 10, that if you want to see God, of course, look to creation, right? Of course, you look to the universe, look to the natural world, but don't just look there. He was telling the disciples, look to poema, to disciples, to God's workmanship, you. And here's my first point tonight, is that you are a masterpiece, you are God's work. You are God's creation. You are God's art. You are God's poem. You're, imagine your life being like a poem for a minute, okay? And that's what Paul was talking about right here. And for a Greek thinker, this could make, you know, this is ludicrous almost to think that. To think that, that God would want to use humans, right? For a Greek thinker, this is like, this ludicrous. It's just unbelievable to be able to think that way and that Paul is trying to talk to the disciples and let them know this is who you are in Christ. Yes, we're going to look to creation. We're going to see God in the natural world in creation, but we're, we're also going to see God in disciples, in people who are transformed by the blood of Jesus and the cross of Christ. And, you know, to a Greek, they're going, I can't even imagine that. Well, they couldn't even imagine this over 2,500 years ago, the same way we struggle with imagining this today, that this boggles the human mind. It did back then, and it still does today. Because for God, it's we're greater than the universe. Man is created in a way that's greater than all those things because it's about relationship for God. It's about, it's about connection. It's about family. It's about togetherness. It's about unity. It's about being in one big family of God. Amen. Now, why did God, why did Paul choose this amazing word? Well, I believe it's because he was trying to show these Greek thinkers how amazing God is and how God works through people to show and reflect who he really is. 
And uh, to a Greek, that's just crazy that uh, somebody could actually think like that. And so here's, think about your life as a poem for a minute. And look at, look at, look at this slide that I have. What is an epic poem? A long narrative poem that tells about the adventures of a hero who reflects the ideals and or values of a nation or race. And there's different elements of epic poems, right? That are literary classics. There's a main character or protagonist in there that's usually heroic. The fate of the people depend on the hero. And the, there's a course of action in which the hero performs great and difficult deeds. And, and Paul's making this, you know, Paul is, is saying, absolutely, you know, uh, your life is like this. Your life is like this poem that God has been working on. And it is a story of glory. You are a workmanship creating Christ Jesus to do good works. Think of, you know, you don't have the reason why it's difficult sometimes to think about, uh, being a masterpiece, right? Like I'm not a masterpiece. I, I look in the mirror and think, what a mess. <laughs> what a, what a piece of work. That, that's how I look at myself often. And yet that's not how God looks at me. That's not how God looks at you. You might see sin. You might see an image that has been marred, but God doesn't see that. God sees a work of art, his design, his poema, if you will. Uh, your life is a story, a poem of God's work of his love, of his power. It's full of ups and downs, victories and defeats, hills and valleys, good and difficult times, sad times. We get messed up because we think that God wants perfection often. But here, number one, you wouldn't relate to anybody if you were perfect. God doesn't need perfect people. He's the only one that's perfect. He needs to use flawed people to help others so that they can relate. And God uses flawed people who can relate to others. The second thing about this passage that's interesting is that this story's ongoing. Amen. It is not finished. You are part of writing that ending. You are part of living a life that has a story from the beginning of Genesis that's going through Revelation. And we keep living within that story. And what we do today is going to echo for an eternity. What we do now in this crisis can make all the difference to how that story plays out, not only for God, for ourselves, for our church, but for the world as well. And so I want you to be thinking about your story for a minute. And it is a literary classic. And I hope you will feel encouraged this evening by how God looks at you, by how God looks at me. Here's the practical. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, you're, you, why is it important for us to understand this? God's workmanship, God's poema. Because one, he loves us. He loves you. He loves me. He loves our family. And he wants the whole world to feel his love. But you're not just saved so that we can be insular and just about us as a church and as God's family. We're supposed to be a blessing for others. Amen. We're being blessed so that we can be a blessing for others. And that's what God was trying to teach his people. That we're not only loved, we're saved for a purpose. And that purpose is to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. See, see how awesome this passage is? God already prepared us to do good works. He gave you a mind. He gave you a heart. He gave you gifts that are unique to you 
So use them. This is part of telling the story is by exercising. So here's the practical tonight is do one act of kindness daily. Amen. Do one act of kindness daily. Turn to your neighbor and say, show some love. Show some love. You know, you could do something every day that could make such a huge difference in someone's life. You know, when people don't have food, one bag of rice makes a difference. It matters. When people are lonely and wondering if they can hold on, one phone call matters. When someone's on the brink of divorce, a friend emailing saying, hey, how's it going? How's things in your marriage? Could make all the difference in the world to them staying married. When people are contemplating the meaning of life, a scripture can make the light go on. Jesus did acts of kindness daily. And so as you go to your discussion groups tonight, take a picture of this. Here's one thing I'd like for you to think about tonight is what's one thing you learned tonight? What's one thing you learned out of the lesson tonight, out of being God's workmanship? Maybe you learned, you know, this is what you were like before. This is how God saved you. But this is your story. This is his workmanship being lived out through you. Amazing. The second thing is, who can who can you encourage this week daily? I want you to think of one name or several names that you can write down and pray for them and show them some love this week. And let's see what God does in it. Don't do it because you want to do anything other than just show some love, you know, to be interested, to love, to care, to show compassion, to exercise faith because you, because that has been given to you and I. What's one thing you learned and who can you encourage this week? Write their names down, pray for them and show them some love. I want to close this evening with some good news from around the region. As always, uh, if you're not signed up to uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, please sign up, subscribe to MailChimp as well, so that you can be a part of the newsletter that Robert sends out every month. Get on our Google calendar so you know what's going on for the different events in the church. Look at our MetroLARegion.com. Go there to see our website. Look at our church app. Uh, we want everyone to be informed as well as involved uh, so they can use the gifts that they have to make a huge impact as God's masterpiece, as God's poem. Uh, as we close tonight, here's some great news. Alden and Michelle, Michelle are going to be getting married this Saturday. Amen. What an encouraging time for them so far. Uh, Anthony and Kiana Day have been married. Angel and Kristen uh, Vasquez have been married. And Alden and Michelle will be getting married this Saturday. Tune in to that. Talk to your small group leader about that. Uh, the singles in our church from downtown, you know, Pablo sent me this for all the singles throughout our region. But, uh, this is a singles, a singles, uh, Friday night coming, a Saturday night coming up entitled Reopen, Open Your Heart, Open Your Eyes. Uh, they're expecting over a thousand singles to virtually be online to celebrate this event and, and be inspired. Uh, keep sending me some good news, gang, because I, I'd like to share good news from each of the sectors. Uh, you know, as we, as I get on every midweek, I want to share good news that encourages all the sectors and see God moving throughout the whole region. From Metro East, 
our sister Lexis Jackson is dating. Uh, she is dating this brother David Lamas from Turning Point. Uh, the picture on the left, just, just to be sure, the picture on the left was before the isolation happened. So she's not breaking any laws or anything like that. Uh, but she is fired up. She is dating this brother, David Lamas from Turning Point. Congratulations to them. The picture on the right there is, is when they actually started dating. So props to them and to a lot of good news in Metro East, as well as, uh, this person here, his name is Zachary Newland. Many of you know a little while ago, Letitia Newman, who's a disciple in Metro East. She's married to Zach. Uh, Newman, this picture right here, he was recently diagnosed with COVID-19. Uh, he is back home now. He is recuperating and he is open to studying the Bible. Amen. There's so much great news going on in our fellowship. And so as we close this evening, if you have good news, please send them, send an email to me uh, so that I can get that good news. And I would love to keep sharing it with the rest of the region. So what did we learn tonight? We learned that I hope you realize you were made for such a time as this. This is what you were like before. God intervened, and because of the cross of Jesus, we are made into new people. We're saved by grace. But not only are we saved, we're saved for a purpose. We are God's workmanship. We're his art. We're his work. We're his design. We're his poem. And the life that you live now is a never-ending story that is going to tell the story of glory. As you go to your discussion groups tonight, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your attention. Good evening.